Good morning. It's good to see everyone out this morning. Um, I'm happy to uh, be speaking this morning. Um, just finished my semester, so it's refreshing to not have anything else going on. And uh, I, I was just able to to study and uh, get this uh, lesson ready. Um, and so I'm just I'm really happy uh, to be up here this morning. And I don't have anything uh, groundbreaking this morning or anything like that. Um, but uh, I'd just like to share a few thoughts on um, some things that I've been thinking about. And uh, so we're going to go through it today. And uh, I would just like you to, uh, you know, be attentive and to the things that I have to say. And hopefully it's beneficial to you. And uh, so is this... Uh, Got that working. So anyway, um, <clears throat> so this morning I just wanted to talk about uh, something I uh, kind of deemed a Sunday hero. Um, and so um, what this is, um, it's derived from something, uh, a football term known as a Thursday hero. And I first heard this when I was in middle school. Um, one of the coaches called somebody a Thursday hero. And, and so essentially, uh, especially in high school football, as, as many of you know, the games are played on Friday night. And so uh, on Thursday, you know, uh, inevitably there's, there's practice. And so a uh, Thursday hero is uh, usually somebody who doesn't play a lot, probably, uh, but, you know, perhaps they're on a scout team or something like that. And so usually, you know, when, uh, at football practice, what you do, you script up some plays that you, uh, you know, that you uh, see another team uh, out on the field, uh, that maybe your opponent coming up, you see the plays that, they, that they're going to run. And so you script those plays up, and then you have, you know, your, your kind of uh, B team go through those plays uh, throughout the week. Uh, and so, you know, what you have, uh, you know, you, you might have somebody on the uh, scout team. They know. They might overhear something your coaches say. They know some of the signals or whatever of the play that you're about to run. And so what they do, they go make, they unknowingly make the greatest play of all time. And, uh, you know, they read everything perfectly and make a great play. But in all actuality, we know they knew exactly what was going on the whole time. They knew the play that was, has been called. And uh, they have just cheated and, and kind of... Uh, uh, gotten ahead of the play and and made a nice play. Um, so that's what we deem a Thursday hero, somebody that's just trying to look good uh, for the coaches, but in all actuality, they didn't earn that. Um, and so, you know, the, that's that's a good thing that they, they've done something well, but, I mean, context matters here. First of all, you're in practice. And, and so, you know, I used to come home and I would tell Dad, oh, yeah, I made a one-handed catch at practice or, uh, you know, uh, one thing in basketball that was big, like, oh, yeah, uh, dunked in practice. And Dad's like, well, do it in a game. Uh, so it doesn't really – practice doesn't count. So, anyway, uh, context does kind of matter. And, and what, I, what I want to talk about today is how that we can be kind of Sunday heroes. Okay, so we're, we're here in church. Uh, and, and Sundays are filled with praise and worship. And, and that's on our minds. And, and we're, we're here and we're singing and we're doing all the acts of worship. And, and everything is glorious and, and God is glorified. Um, but when the Lord's Day is over, it, it, it happens sometimes that spiritual matters, they don't matter anymore. So when we're out in the world and the week starts and Sunday's over and services are over, we can tend to kind of be loose and, and not holding 
to God's word. And so, you know, just as we go throughout this this morning, I would just like you to think about, I mean, do, do any of these, these traits, do they describe me? And just examine yourself and just think about it. Does this describe me? And I'd like to start in Second uh, Corinthians 13 and verse 5. And uh, just, uh, just like you uh, to read along with me, it says, Examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you are disqualified? Um, so, you know, as we just go through this morning, just examine yourselves critically and just, you know, apply this lesson and uh, think about the things that are said. So, the question is raised, what is our midweek form? So, you know, like I said, we're all here this morning, so everybody's got Sundays down, all right? We know how to do a Sunday. We know how to make it to church. We, we can sing and, and pray. And so... I would just like to raise the question, does our daily self resemble our Sunday self? Because we know that when we come here, uh, you know, we, we do the acts of worship. But, you know, in our daily lives, is there prayer? We know First uh, Thessalonians uh, 5 and, and 17 tells us to pray without ceasing. Does that at all describe us? Uh, we look at Daniel. Even when there was persecution and he, he saw that decree from the king... You know, anyone caught praying would be put to death, would be thrown in the lion's den. Did that stop Daniel? Would, would it stop us? Or do we, we I mean, because I know right now that I don't think anybody has that kind of person looking down the, the barrel of that gun at that persecution and, and still, you know, having to decide whether they're going to pray or not. See, we have free will to do that. And are we even doing that now? You know, are we being a good example when we go out and in our daily lives, at work, at school, and things like that? Or are we... Are we being a good example? Are we teaching? Uh, you know, I, as far as I know, it wasn't a Sunday. Uh, it wasn't the first day of the week when Philip went out and, and uh, taught the eunuch, Jesus, it says. I don't think it was a Sunday. I don't think it was the Lord's Day. I don't think that, uh, you know, that was the only stipulation there. I think that Philip just wanted to teach. Are we doing that when we're out in our daily lives? Are we abstaining from sin? Um, you know, that, that is uh, something that we have to be very active in, do, in doing, not just abstaining from sin, but also from the appearance of sin. And you look at, you know, when Christ, when he was at his weakest point there, had been fasting for 40 days, you know, and, and I'm sure just starvation, unimaginable, and Satan was tempting him to, uh, you know, turn the stones into bread and things like that, but Christ ab abstained from sin. And so I think just the one question that uh, is really important that I'm trying to get at here is, can people tell you're a Christian? I mean, have you owned up to it? And if you have, if you said point blank, I'm a Christian, I attend the Church of Christ, are you willing to live that out? Are you doing so actively? Or if you haven't owned it, I mean, could people even tell from the way that you act? Or are you, uh, as what some people would consider to be a practical atheist, just, you know, you're just floating through life, you don't really make any claims about it, you don't live like it, you're just kind of, you know, going to work and just acting like the world and everybody else. So, you know, can people tell that you are a Christian? So, with that in mind, I'd like to look at what does God's word say. So, you know, I would like to come back and just reiterate that Sunday is important. It's important that we are here. It's important that we are engaged. It's important that we're doing all these acts of worship. 
that are laid down in God's word. And so, you know, certainly the Bible instructs us on how to conduct our worship. And so, starting out, we know that we have to pray. We know that that's an act of worship. It can be seen as an example in Acts 12 and verse 5. It says, Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. So it says the church here, they're praying uh, for Peter who is imprisoned. And so that is a congregational act. We also see singing in Ephesians 5 and verse 19 and in other places as well, Colossians 3 and 16. But it says there in, in 19, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. So, I mean, one thing that, you know, I just, it kind of got my attention is that we're speaking to one another, so we're also uplifting one another. And so, you know, when we sing, we're, we're not just singing for ourselves or, or to worship God, but also to teach one another. And then, of course, there is just outright preaching and teaching that goes on. And you can see that in 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 17. It says, For this reason I have sent Timothy to you, who is my beloved and faithful son in the Lord, who will remind you of my ways in Christ, as I teach everywhere in every church. Paul is here. He's actively teaching in every church. So, you know, I think this is a, an approved example that preaching uh, could and should go on in the church. And, of course, we have the Lord's Supper. This is why we come together, one of the main reasons we come together on the first day of the week. And that can be, the, the pattern for that can be seen in Acts 20 and verse 7. It says, Now on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, uh, Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. So we see them coming together to break bread on the first day of the week and also uh, another example of, of Paul preaching there. And then finally giving, and that can be seen in 1 Corinthians 16, verse 1 and 2. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given orders to the churches of Galatia, so you must do also. On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. So here we have some basic acts of worship that we're supposed to do. We can see a little bit about what we're supposed to do and how we're supposed to do it, you know, the mindset that we're supposed to have as we do it. Now, these things have been laid out, and I've you know, given you five verses here, and, and there are some others to go along with these, but you know, the majority of the rest of the Bible gives us stories, examples, and commandments on how we conduct ourselves in daily life. So if you consider that this, the portion that I've just read is about how we conduct ourselves here as a congregation, there are some other passages as well uh, referring to other things and giving commandments for other things, but... I would say that the majority of the Bible is how, t teaching us how to conduct ourselves in daily life. And so I think that uh, with that amount of repetition, that there is emphasis, that that is a very important aspect of how we are to live as Christians. So what does God's Word say about living as Christians in our daily life? So, you know, first of all, I would say that God knows our hearts and our tendencies. Time and again, He makes you know, these proclamations, he, he gives these prophecies, he knows, you know, how mankind thinks, 
He created us. I mean, he knows us better than anyone. He knows the hairs on our head. Um, and so I think it's just extremely important to understand, you know, as we approach the Bible, understanding that God knows us better than anything, knowing that, I mean, he is the judge. So, and his word should be the most important determining factor in our life. Everything that we do should be going exactly by that. When he is the standard, we must follow that to a T. But God knows our hearts and our tendencies, and he knew us before, even before we were born, so we should listen to him. And so what are some things that he kind of warns us about? He knows are a pitfall for mankind. Well, I think that one of those is, is language. He knows that it's hard for us to control our tongue, uh, but that's one of the things that he has commanded that we, uh, that we uh, monitor and that we uh, have, have control over is our language and our tongue. So look with me in uh, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 29. It says there, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. I mean, when we speak to people around us, or do we have the same type of language that they do? Are we using the same foul language as they do? Or is what we're saying profitable to them, you know, spiritually? Or is what we're saying kind of wasted? You know, it says um, that it may impart grace to the hearers. I mean, is, is our language, it, does it have anything to do with God? Is it going to help them? And so we have to consider that stuff as we speak. You look in the next chapter over in Ephesians 5 and verse 4. It says, Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of things. So these are the things that are supposed to proceed from our mouth. You know, not filthiness, not foolish talking, not dirty jokes here, uh, but, you know, things, giving of thanks. Those are the kinds of things that are supposed to proceed from our mouth. And you look in one last verse in James 1 and verse 26. It says, if anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this one's religious is, religion is useless. So, I mean, think about that. Your religion can be made null and void if you can't control your tongue. And then I thought about anger and how each of us is certainly provoked with anger every day by people around us, by ourselves, and various other things, provoked by anger. But what does the Lord have to say about that? Well, David, in the Psalms, chapter 37, verse 8, simply says, Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. It only causes harm. So just stop. Just stop being angry. Proverbs 14 and verse 29. It says, He who is slow to wrath has great understanding, but he who is impulsive exalts folly. So it's a, it tells us to be slow to wrath. And sometimes if you do, you know, when you're, if you've ever tried to talk to someone about God and the Bible, you know, oftentimes if it is somebody who just instantly gets angry, how difficult is it? to talk to that person. If we become angry when somebody corrects us or something like that, how difficult is it for that person to get to us? We know when we're angry, we just shut up our hearts. Our heart is hardened. So we need to be careful about that and how we you know, can explode into anger. We have to really throttle that back and, and be willing to control that. You look at uh, James 
chapter 1 again and verse 20, it says, For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And what I'm hearing here is that it is really the opposite of what God wants. It's going to keep us from getting to the righteousness of God. You know, there's no productivity in being wrathful. And then again, going back to Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 26. It says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. So, I mean, oftentimes we're guilty of holding grudges uh, against, you know, people in our lives and things like that. But it says not to, you know, don't let a single day pass. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. You know, just flesh things out right there with that person and, and, and come to an understanding. Don't let that anger persist in your life. And, you know, one thing that really, you know, in my time working uh, at Arnold and uh, in other places, you know, you can sometimes notice a difference. I, I, I worked with some people there who were very religious and godly. And, you know, those people tend, tend to be harder workers uh, and so I, I added work ethic here because I think that's something that's sometimes overlooked, but it's an important part of who we are as Christians and what we should be. And so I think a, a good passage that shows that is in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 23. It says there, And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. So, you know, as we're working, I keep that in my mind. I'm thinking, you know, I'm not just doing this for my employer or for myself so I can make money, but I'm working hard as for the Lord. And so, you know, that, that kind of pushes me along and helps me to realize, you know, the importance of hard work and, and being a good example to those around about me. And so finally, I would like to talk about, a, a, you know, the teaching and the example that we're supposed to set as Christians in our daily lives. And so you look in 2 Timothy, chapter 2, in verse 15 there, it says, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of the truth. Of truth. And so, you know, there we have an example of, of how we're supposed to be, you know, rightly dividing the word, giving it to those uh, around us, and, and studying it, handling God's word properly. You look in Acts 17 and verse 11. It says there, These were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether the, these things were so. So this is talking about the Bereans here. And it's talking about how they were rightly dividing God's word. They were spending time in the scriptures daily, you know, studying God's word and, uh, you know, preparing themselves. Paul talks about being set for the defense of the gospel. And how can you do that if you don't study? And the Bereans here, you couldn't find them guilty of not studying. They were doing it daily, searching the scriptures. And then in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4, in verse 2, after we've studied and we've applied the word to ourselves... Paul here says, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. I was, in my preparation, I was looking, uh, there's a song, Let the Lower Lights Be Burning, and it gives the analogy of someone who is lost as a fainting and struggling seaman. There are tons of people out in the world today 
who need God's word, who are lost for whatever reason, as we talked about in class, is it willful, willful ignorance or if they just never actually looked into it, they just, they just don't know about it. And it's our responsibility, you know, whatever their need is, to go to them and to help those people. I mean, uh, you know, it's, it's when I think about that song and just the hopeless nature of, you know, when you're in, uh, you know, white water or you're in the depths of the ocean, being lost at sea, how, how sad and, and just how helpless would you feel to be in that position. And so, you know, when we can see that out in the world, we have the truth. And, and, you know, if we're studied up on the truth, why would we not share that? It's the gospel. It's the good news for those people who are lost. And uh, in Matthew uh, 5, that's further highlighted in verse 14 there. Christ says, You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. This is not just about preaching. You know, some of the most uh, zealous people that I've ever met, they were just a good example. They just went out and they just did the right things continually in the community, at work, at school. Those people were to be admired. They didn't always verbally say, hey, look at this. But they, they just, they lived it out. They, you didn't hear foul language in their mouth. They were not angry. They worked hard. Those type of things, those go a long way. Being a good example, a good Christian in our daily lives. And, you know, we are to, to let that shine before men. Not gloat about it for our own glory, but for the glory of God, we are to live righteously. And what God really knows here is that human nature is worldliness. And worldliness is really just wickedness. And so, you know, in 1 John 2.15, it says there, Do not love the world or the things in this world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So, you know, if we're a part of this world, we want to hang out with the people of this world, doing the things that they do, fitting in with those people, the love of the Father is not in us. So we have to prioritize, do I want to please God or man? And we have to make a choice there. In Colossians 3 and verse 2, it says, Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. So, you know, in class, you know, we were talking about finding justification for the things that you want to do. If your mind is on things here, on earth, then, you know, we're going against what God says here. He wants to set our, thing, our mind on things above, on spiritual things all the time. That's how we're going to make it to heaven. And so I would say that, yeah, the jig is up. Sunday heroism, God, is, he, he has seen it before. He knew that long before now. Nobody fools him. You might fool the people around you with, with uh, you know, coming to church on Sunday and being a devout Christian in that regard. But God knows your heart. He knew Ananias and Sapphira when they came in there. Sure, yeah, they were doing a good thing. They were bringing their money. But they wanted everyone around them to see it. And they wanted people to believe, this is everything. I've sold my land and my possessions, and this is what I have. But God knew. And Peter knew there, and they paid dearly for that. And he's not fooled, and, and, and really, when you think about it, he's the only one that matters. If, even if the people around you don't like you, the people out in the world, they don't like you, it doesn't matter, because at the end of the day, we're going to face a judgment, and God is the judge. So, you know, and we see that in uh, John 4, 14 and verse 6, <clears throat> it says, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, the truth, and the life. 
No one comes to the Father except through me. So if we want to make it to heaven, we have to do things God way, God's way. We have to listen to his word and, and follow him. And so it really comes down to your motiv- motivation for being righteous. Those Thursday heroes, they really only care about being seen by the coaches and feeling good themselves. You know, people who are truly wanting to contribute to the team, those are a different type of people. They earn it. They earn it on the practice field, and then they go out in the games and they execute. And that's what we have to do. We have to earn it. Okay, we have to go out here, we have to do things for God's glory, not for our own, not to be seen of men, but to glorify God and to bring others to him. And uh, you look at the, the scribes and the Pharisees, they are exhibit A of, of, of a type of people who just wanted to be seen of men. It says they broadened the borders of their garments and they went around chanting things. And that can be seen in Matthew 23 uh, in, in the first 12 verses there. Just how, you know, they, they were just out there to be seen of men. And we know that, you know, Christ called them out many times on this. And so we could see what happens to people like this in Matthew 7 and in verse 21. It says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter in to the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. So for not doing it for God, he rejects that. He calls it iniquity, and, and we will be uh, cast into outer darkness in that day. So, you know, it's super important to not just do things for God, or for uh, just do things, do godly things out in the world, but to do them for the glory of God and, and to bring others to Him. And so, I would just like to be uh, of encouragement this morning, uh, you know, and just let's get to heaven. Let's do the right things. We, we, we're already here making some effort. All of us know the truth this morning. Why not go all the way? Why not go out in the community? and at work, and strive for God. Why not do, like in Luke 13, in verse 24, it says, Strive to enter through the narrow gate. For many, I say to you, will seek to enter and will not be able. So, you know, we used to have uh, the coaches at West Virginia would say, you know, strain. That was one of of the, the buzzwords that they like to use, strain. And so what that means is essentially... You know, when, when you're going to do something, do it, you know, and, and, and use force behind it and make, you know, it shouldn't be easy for you or you're probably not doing it right. So, you know, we need to make sure that we're, you know, checking ourselves. Is this, you know, am I taking the easy way out or am I actually doing the right thing here? You know, and I think Paul was one of those people who was really striving and straining for Christ. It's a, and, and I believe that Paul had comfort. And so you look in Second Timothy chapter 4 again. This is called Paul's valedictory. It says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Paul here, I mean, he's undergone numerous persecutions. He's at his time of death. But he has comfort in knowing that he has given his all for Christ and that he will be rewarded. He's fought the good fight. You look at Mark in Mark chapter 8 and verse 36. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world 
and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Paul, he didn't even want to find out. He, he, didn't, he had no um, desire to find out, you know, what it meant to gain the whole world. He was focused on God, doing God's will. And here we have the words of life. Like I said, so many of us, all of us here, we have the words of life, we have the truth. And it's up to us to live by that truth, to, to teach that truth, not just on Sundays, but every day of the week. And if we do so, we can have a home in heaven if we live in accordance with those words. So this morning... We have, a, you know, we have a choice. We can be Sunday heroes, or we can be people who go out and we live every day of our lives for Christ. And we teach the people around us. We give a good example, not for our own glory, but for God. So if there's anyone here this morning who has failed to do that in any way, um, and, and you've fallen short of God's glory, uh, for the Christian, we know that you are to repent and pray. If it's a, of a public nature, you can come forward. Uh, we can do anything that we can to encourage you, to pray for you. Uh, and then if there's anyone here this morning who has just never obeyed, we have the plan of salvation. You can come talk to anyone here. I'd be happy to share with you, uh, you know, the, the steps for the plan of salvation. But if you have any need, come forward now as we stand and as we sing.